2. So Acts 15, 22, this is part 2 of the Jerusalem Conference, the Jerusalem Council. So, beginning at verse 22. Then it pleased the apostles and the elders, the elders are the pastors of the house churches there in Jerusalem, were in Jerusalem with the whole church, as everybody else there in Jerusalem. Although these are Christians, these are the early Christians that were birthed out of the Jewish community there in Jerusalem. Then it pleased the apostles, the elders with the whole church to send chosen men from their own company back to Antioch, because remember that's where the question came from, back to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. Um, so they're going to respond to the people in Antioch and to the whole Gentile world, uh, their answer. And again, remember the specific question. Do you have to keep the law of Moses to be saved? Do you have to be circumcised to be saved? Uh, the Jerusalem Council makes the decision. Um, no. But even if you're Gentile, not concerning Jews, but if you're Gentile, there are some things that the Jewish community does, we need to observe. We don't need to keep kosher. We don't need to um, observe the, the Jewish holidays. Nothing wrong with doing any of that. We don't need to be circumcised. You can choose it for medical reasons, but you don't have to choose it for religious reasons. So uh, what they're having to decide here is how much of the Jewish faith, how much of the Jewish practice do all these Gentiles like me and you uh, have to observe as we're coming into the church. So they make their decision. They're, they're, they made their decision, so they're going to put it, in, put, it in it, put it in print and send it back to the Antioch church. Again, Antioch is what we would call Syria, north of Jerusalem. It's the center, the headquarters, the base of Paul's ministry to the Gentile world. So by sending this correspondence to the church in Antioch, they're sending it to the to the whole Gentile world. That's why you're sitting here reading it today. Uh, so notice, um, they're going to send chosen men of their own company to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas and two more. Judas, who was also named Barsabbas, we know absolutely nothing else about this Judas. And Silas, we know a lot about Silas. You're gonna spend next year with, a, a chunk of next year with Silas. Um, so Silas and Judas join uh, Paul and Barnabas taking the correspondence back from Jerusalem to Antioch. Uh, Silas does become Paul's, um, uh, Paul's companion on his second missionary journey. Silas is going to be the one that's going to stay with Paul from now on, for, from now for a while, for his second missionary journey. Um, he's going to replace Barnabas. Silas is a Jew, because notice where you're picking him up at here in Jerusalem. He's a Jew. Uh, you're also, because of one little phrase that Paul will use um, later, uh, you know he's also a Roman citizen, like Paul, this Silas. Uh, sometimes your Bibles refer to this Silas as Silvanus. Uh, Silas is just the shortened version of Silvanus, same person. So, um, yeah, when you go on Paul's second missionary journey, is Paul and Silas. You finish Paul's first missionary journey, and it was Paul and Barnabas. Uh, but anyway, so here's where we pick Silas up. So Paul and Barnabas, with somebody named Judas and Silas, leading men from among the brethren, uh, they're sent to Antioch. They're sent with the letter, verse 23. They wrote this letter by them. Here's the letter they take. The apostles, the elders, and the brethren, the brothers, to the brothers, 
to the brethren. So notice it starts off by easing the concerns of the Gentiles, people like you and me, who are reading this letter. It starts off by affirming we're brothers and sisters. The apostles, the elders, and the brethren to the brethren who are of the Gentiles in Antioch, Syria, Cilicia, High Point. So this is a letter that's sent to the Gentile world. Greetings. Greetings. Since we have heard that some who went out from us troubled you, because I remember that's what created this issue. Some people, some Jewish Christians went out from Jerusalem, went up to Antioch and said, oh, you got to be circumcised. Oh, you got to keep all the Jewish law if you want to embrace the Jewish Messiah, Jesus. Um, since we have heard that some who went out from us have troubled you with words unsettling your souls, uh, saying you must be circumcised and keep the law, to whom we gave no such commandment. So this is the Jerusalem church saying, we didn't really send them to you. They may have come from Jerusalem. They were Christians of Jewish, um, Jewish ethnicity, but we didn't send them. So um, verse 25, it seems good to us. Again, we're, we're paying attention to what they're saying here, but we're also paying attention to how they came to this decision. They came to this decision. They got the mature Christians together. The whole church is there, but they're listening to James. They've got the mature Christians together, um, the mature Christians who know the Hebrew scriptures, who know the scriptures. They get the church together. They don't just decide what they think is right. Even though at verse 25 it does say, it seems good to us. Now you're going to see another phrase in just a moment. It's not enough for the Christian community to get together and figure out what they think's best. You know, I've always told leaders in churches for 38 years, please, 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 for God's sake and the sake of the Christian community, don't do what you think's best for the church. Do what you can discern that God thinks is best for the church. Because what I may think is best for the church may not be what God thinks is best for the church. It may be well-intentioned. It may be well-motivated. But what we're after is not what we think is best. What we're after is what does God think is best. We're not after just our decision. We're after a decision that's made um, under the work and the inspiration and the ministry and the fullness of the Holy Spirit. So even though you see here in verse 25, or verse, yeah, verse 25, it says, it seems good to us. I'll point out in a second, they add something to that. It seems good to us being assembled with one accord to send chosen men to you, our beloved, with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, Silas and Judas, men who have risked their lives for the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you saw Paul almost stoned to death. Uh, verse 27, we have therefore sent Judas and Silas who will also report the same things by, by word of mouth. For it seemed good to us and to the Holy Spirit. It's not enough to just figure out what we think is best. We have, to, we have to be convinced that it's what the Holy Spirit is also guiding the church to do. Now, how do you know what the Holy Spirit's guiding the church to do? Well, it's not just what you feel today. Um, if you just said, James, Peter... Paul, Silas, Judas, how do we know what the Holy Spirit's got in the church to do? What's going to be the first thing they would tell you? Bible is where we start. 
The Bible is where we hear the voice of God. Now, you know, the Spirit can speak to you. The Spirit will not speak contrary to the written word because God is not schizophrenic. Uh, that's why the word in the Jewish community and the Christian community is important. So you've got to discern. That's what discernment is about. You have got to discern the mind of God. You've got to discern what the Spirit is leading you to discern. And you don't do that by just sharing you know, each other's ignorance or opinions. You, you, you can start there. But um, again, discernment in the New Testament, the Christian faith, is a spiritual practice. God's got to be involved in that. And you have to ask, well, how does God get involved with that? You know, what happens a lot of times in Christian communities, we make our plans and we ask God to bless our plans. Think about that a moment. Not right. We need to try to discern what it is God's calling us to do. Uh, that's why we can't just pray when we've done all our work, saying God show up and bless our plans. That's why, again, you've got to have people with some spiritual maturity. Um, and when I say spiritual maturity, I'm not, you know, just including, I mean, Oprah Winfrey thinks she's spiritually mature. I'm talking spiritual maturity in the Jewish Christian tradition. Um, nothing against Oprah Winfrey, but, you know, everybody wants to be spiritual nowadays. But, you know, look who they gathered together here in the church. Um, people who knew the Jewish faith, who knew the Jewish scriptures, who had been living the faith, who had now come to faith in the Jewish Messiah, Jesus, who were people of prayer. And, yeah, the rest of the church was involved. They're here with the apostles and the elders. But, you, you know, the, we, we don't make our decisions the way the world makes, or we should not make our decisions the way the world makes their decisions. Um, Again, that's why Acts 15 is important. Notice how, and by the way, this is the way, this is why we did the Council of Nicaea in 325 AD to create what we call the Nicene Creed. We did it this way. Um, we've got to be specific about how you make decisions in the life of the church. Yeah, we got a lot of people. I used to say when I first went in the ministry, I'm sure I've told you this, Methodists at least, I'm sure Methodists know what Disciple One Bible Study is. That's their intro to Bible, I used to say, I've never been brave enough to do this. I used to say, I wish churches, don't let anybody serve anywhere on any committee who has not at least had disciple one. Um, yeah. I mean, you know, you notice how we make decisions in the Christian community, or how we should make decisions. So it seemed good, verse 28, it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay upon you no greater burden than these necessary things. And here's where we're going to get the list again about what's necessary. But no greater burden. You know, you don't have to keep kosher. You can eat your pig. You can handle football and leather. You can wear clothing and mixed fabric. Um, the list goes on. Um, there, there's parts of the law that would be categorized under a greater burden for Gentiles. Again, he's not talking to Jews. He's talking to Gentiles. For it seems good to the Holy Spirit does to lay upon you no greater burden than these necessary things. And here's a repeat, in case you weren't here last week. Here's a repeat of what the Christian community in Jerusalem, head of the church, um, decided is necessary from the law of Moses to, to pay attention to as Christian. Not for sake of salvation, but for the sake of common sense, for the sake of Christian living, for the sake of uh, evangelism. 
uh, for the sake of your Christian witness, you should do these things. Um, verse 29, that you abstain from things offered to idols. And this is what we looked at in detail last week. Uh, you abstain from idolatry. You abstain from idols pollution is what it literally says in the text. Whether it's eating meat offered to idols, just don't participate in idolatry. You know, and you need to think about what that means literally, physically, and spiritually. Don't participate in idolatry. Uh, that is a moral law. And all any of the moral laws of the Old Testament that helps you not to participate in idolatry, you need to pay attention to those moral laws. Again, what we've discerned from texts such as this and all of Paul's writings and 2,000 years of Christian tradition, and it's gotten ingrained in all of our Protestant confessions of faith, is you don't have to observe ceremonial law. You do not have to observe um, civic law or civil law. But yeah, the moral law stands. Ten Commandments, go for them. The moral law stands. So um, here's a, so the idolatry is, and staying away from idolatry, that's moral law. Um, but here it gets, it starts getting involved a little bit here with what we do believe to be a ceremonial law. And I pointed out last week why. You abstain from things offered to idols, stay away from idolatry, from, from blood. Yeah, don't eat blood, don't drink blood, and that happens in some cultures. And from things strangled, that may be one law. Because um, again, if you strangle the animal as opposed to bleeding the animal, you're going to be eating blood. So that may, there may just be three things being presented here or four things, depending on how you, how you count it. But if you abstain from, from blood and, and meat strangled, you're, that's one and the same thing. You know, bleed your meat. You know, I remember the first time, this is a pleasant topic, first time I was ever, I, I grew up in a mill village, but a lot of country around me, a lot of country people around me. I remember the first time I was taken to a um, hog slaughtering. I did fine. Till they bled that pig that was hanging upside down. I passed out cold. I mean, I hit the ground. Um, yeah. So, um, yeah, bleed your meat. I don't want to see, it, see you when you do it, but bleed your meat. Uh, you know, in other words, don't eat meat that's just been strangled. Bleed your meat. And, and we think, we talked about this last week, this is so that you can be in fellowship with Jews. Or be in fellowship with me, by the way. Uh, be in fellowship with Jews. Don't drink. I mean, I told you about some tribes in Africa that drank one, one of their esteemed drinks until they came to the Christian faith was milk, milk mixed with blood. A lot of vitamins. Um, yeah, just don't, don't do that around me. Don't do that around Jews. So what they're saying here really about me, because this is sort of ceremonial. Um, again, part of what's going on here is telling these Gentiles and Jews how to live together. If you're gonna live with Jews, don't drink blood in front of them. You know, don't don't eat meat that hasn't been bled. Um, so that may be ceremonial. The, all, the idolatry obviously is moral, um, but things strangled from blood that's ceremonial and from sexual immorality. Well, that's obviously moral immorality. That's moral law. And last week, if you weren't here, I mean, you can get that all over the Hebrew Bible. You can get that all over the New Testament. Paul's going to keep writing about this because these Gentiles don't know about Jewish sexual morality. That's why when he's in Corinth, he has to tell those Christians, he has to tell the Christian community in Corinth, incest, bad idea. Those Gentiles didn't know that. I mean, you don't know that just because you're walking and breathing on planet Earth. 
that has been, that's been handed down through, um, through, through Jewish law. So that's Jewish morality. So what I did last week, if you weren't here, there's, you, you can get Jewish moral law all over the Old Testament and New Testament. You can get it all over the place. Every time you see the word porneia in the Greek, that sometimes gets translated like it is here, it, it should be translated just sexual immorality. Sometimes it does get translated in English just as fornication. But in some people's minds, fornication may not be as broad as sexual immorality. What I, you know, a, a good Cliff Notes version of what the Jewish community um, referred to as sexual immorality, you can find in Leviticus chapter 17, verses 1 through 23. And I promise you, you look at that list, there's nothing on that list you would approve today, except maybe one thing. But anyway, um, and again, this is not an issue about salvation. This is an issue about what is proper Christian living. You know, um, none of us do exactly what we should always do with proper Christian living. You know, um, I, 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 I can end every night with a list of ways I have um, not lived in proper Christian ways. You know, we should preach more, and this is really, I'm saying this for me. We should preach more against gluttony in the body of Christ. We should preach, you know, there, there's some issues with those church suppers that I love so much. I, I'm a big fan of fried chicken. I know that's stereotypical for a preacher. Um, but yeah, but I'm not going to say, well, let's take gluttony out of the list because I participate in it. Yeah, I, I have to deal with that. I have to do And again, it's, this is not... Again, back to Acts 15 and the whole New Testament. This is not an issue about salvation. It's an issue about proper Christian living um, and what you can set out as a standard. You know, Ten Commandments, thou shalt not commit adultery. That, that one we, you know, what fascinates me in this culture is it's, I think most Christians agree on that because they know it's in the Big Ten. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Well, let's, you know, just think on that a little bit what adultery is. What's the basis of adultery? Um, you know, having sexual relationships with somebody that's not your wife. I, I mean, we you obviously know that's a moral law. You shall not commit adultery. Um, that wasn't the only thing the Jewish community said, moral law. That just happens to be in the top ten. And by the way, the Jewish community does not call those ten ten commandments because there's more than ten commandments in those ten, Right? Shake your head, yes. Go count them. On the, for instance, one that, yeah, they just call that um, the ten words because they talk about the ten. But yeah, it's, call it, it's not, we Christians call it the Ten Commandments. Yeah, go look at the Ten Commandments. There's more than ten there. The one I love to point out to this culture when it says, you shall keep the Sabbath day and keep it holy unto the Lord. Six days you shall labor. That's a commandment. There's two there. there that, 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 that commandment about six days you shall labor, but keep the seventh day holy. Yeah, the Ten Commandments is more than ten. But anyway, so the Ten Commandments are not the only ten. I assume you know that, right? If it did, our Bible would be a whole lot shorter nowadays. But the moral law, the Ten Commandments symbolize moral law. We keep the moral law, not the civil, not the ceremonial. Anyway, um, 
for a lot of reasons, what the Jerusalem Council here is declaring, what, what we've lived with for 2,000 years, um, needs to be looked at again by our culture. Uh, anyways, the sexual immorality is, is four things, probably three things here. There's the one commandment here about what you're eating. That's, that's just for practicality. That's so you can live with Jews and Gentiles because that's what's being worked out here. And then, but, but as far as moral law, flee idolatry, flee sexual immorality. And then the, the letter ends with, if you keep yourselves from these, you will do well. Farewell. So that's the letter that went to the whole Christian, Gentile Christian world um, to make sure that we knew, yeah, we don't have to, the law of Moses doesn't impact our salvation, uh, but, you know, parts of the law of Moses does impact what is proper Christian living, whether we, you know, whether we attain to it or not. Anyway, here's just some fun ways to finish up. So that's the letter. Let's finish up part one of Acts, verse 30. So when they were sent off, they came to Antioch, and when they had gathered the multitude together, they delivered the letter. When they had read it, notice, when they had read it, they rejoiced over its encouragement. Our culture would wail and scream and lament. You're taking away all of our fun with these laws and rules and restrictions. Tell me not to participate in sexual morality and flee idolatry and... The, the, the Gentile Christians that received this, they found joy in this. Um, one, that salvation isn't based on adherence to the Mosaic law, which, by the way, the Jewish community does not even say. But salvation is not based on what you do. It's on who you believe and accept and love. Um, it's your relationship to God through Christ. But so they're excited. They're, they're joy-filled. They don't, they're not receiving this as just legalism. Legalism can be deadly. You know, if I give you 500 laws, you have to observe. This is a little list here with tremendous ramifications. But anyway, they received it with joy. They didn't say, oh, Silas and Paul and Judas and Barnabas, you're such a killjoy. You're taking away all of our fun in life. They received it with, with joy because they know that what God tells us about how to live is for the sake of us finding joy, for the sake of us finding fulfillment. Uh, all of us that are parents, by the way, we understand this, or at least we did when we were raising teenagers. We understood that. So, verse 32. Now, Judas and Silas themselves being prophets. There you learn a little bit about Judas and Silas. Prophets are those who speak the mind of God to the Christian community, who speak words of encouragement. So you do learn a little bit more about, this is the only thing we know about Judas. He was a prophet, and Silas was too. Now, Judas and Silas themselves being prophets, exhorted and strengthened the brethren with many words. Evangelism and discipleship are important. Bringing people into the faith and maturing them in the faith. Discipleship is important. You see both happening here. Um, so yeah, they exhorted and strengthened the brethren with many words. Verse 33, and after they had stayed there for a time, they were sent back with greetings from the brethren to the apostles. So they have to go back and report to the headquarters and say, yeah, um, the Gentiles in Antioch can live with this. The Gentiles in Antioch rejoiced over this. Now, let me show you something you probably hadn't even noticed. Look at verse 34. 
Do you have verse 34? <laughs> See, one of the things I want to help you do is learn to read what's in front of you. You might have gone home today and not even noticed your Bible doesn't have, even have a verse 34. It may or may not. Or it may have a verse 34 in brackets. Or it may have a verse 34 at the bottom of the page. Because what is what can be verse 34 is not in the best manuscripts. Uh, and this is a good place to talk about this. Uh, what is in verse 34? The translation I'm using in front of me does have it in the, in the, manu, in the text because I didn't want to forget it. Because um, most texts now, ESV, which I usually use, just goes straight from 33 to 35. And you may not even notice that. Uh, verse 34 is not in the oldest manuscripts. Um, it's not in uh, the preferred older manuscripts now. Um, it was in one of the later manuscripts that King James used. That's why I said my new King James is in front of me. Verse 34, again, and, and you know, these little textual variants never have doctrinal implications. They don't. You know, so like Bart Ehrman at Chapel Hill, he, he, he loves to find out these textual variants and he'll use them to destroy your faith. You know, how then do we know that Jesus is Messiah? Yeah, you don't have textual variants like what I'm pointing out right here that have doctrinal implications. So what verse 34 simply could say or did say in later manuscripts was, however, it seemed good to Silas to remain there. Well, that's no doctrinal implications. That's just helping you understand why Silas, how Silas can join with Paul on his second missionary journey. He, he stayed in Antioch. He didn't go back to Jerusalem. Um, so probably what happened with, with some early manuscripts of Bible, s some scribe wrote that in there to help you understand, you know, why Silas ends up on Paul's second missionary journey because he doesn't go back to Jerusalem um, with the ones that returned back to Jerusalem. Anyway, so that's why it's a textual variant. But textual variants don't have doctrinal implications. So because there's textual variants, don't go out and say... I'm not even going to say something because I'll offend you. Um, don't go out and say, um, "Oh, I can, I can, I, I can, I can live a life completely full of gluttony," because we can't trust the Bible. There's textual variants. Well, there's no doctrinal implications to these kind of textual variants. Anyway, so verse 34, you may or may not have in your text. Uh, look at verse 35. Paul and Barnabas also remained in Antioch, and because of the textual variant, you know Silas does too. Paul and Barnabas also remained in Antioch, teaching and preaching the word of the Lord with many others also. So again, even for Paul, even for evangelists like Paul, discipleship, maturing the saints, the Christians, is important. So they stay there for a while and they teach. You know, one of the things the contemporary American church needs to get a handle on is we have idolized, listen closely to what I'm saying, I'm a big fan of evangelism. Evangelism is the mission of the church. But the contemporary American church has idolized reaching people. You know, it's fine to want to reach people, but you got to say, what are you reaching them for? What are you reaching them to do with them? What do you want to do with them after you reach them? You know, that's discipleship. There are churches that have gone astray, denominations that have gone astray, because they focus just on reaching people. You know, I remember, and I'll never forget this, um, 
God works in our lives in remarkable ways. When I was a when I was a college student doing youth ministry at a Presbyterian church that has now gone. My first three churches I've served are now gone. They have faded away. Tell you something about the culture in which we're living. But you know, they they kind of hired me as a college student who knew almost nothing. But I was young and I was into the Bible and they hired me to do youth ministry. They thought that would save their church. And I'll never forget, and as a result, they put me on the session. And those of you that have been in Presbyterian Church, that's, you know that's their governing body. So here I am, 18, 19 years old, sitting on the session, trying to do youth ministry in this church. Um, and I'm listening to the session. They're trying to think of ways to save the church because the numbers, the church is gone now. Um, they were declining, 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 declining. When I'm sitting there, you know, I was age 18, 19. Everybody else in the room was like 75. You know, they hired me to try to save the church. And I'm sitting there listening to them, and they're trying to think of all sorts of ways to reach people, all sorts of ways to get a crowd. And I'll never forget Roscoe Quinn. And it's amazing I remember his name. The only reason I remember his name is because of what he said. I'll never forget Roscoe Quinn, who was 75, 80, 85 years old. He was sitting there listening, and finally he said, Well, folks, if we give away free beer on Sunday morning, we'll get a crowd too. <laughs> well, that's all he had to say for that room to realize we were idolizing reaching people. It's not just about reaching people and getting a crowd. Are you discipling them? What are you going to do with them when you reach them? So here you see Paul and Barnabas. They stay. Uh, they stay there in Antioch for a while, preaching, teaching the word of the Lord, trying to disciple these people. Okay. Um, now, here's where the text begins to transition to the second missionary journey. So we probably will actually start at verse 36 in the fall because this is the, this is the bridge from uh, the first part of Acts to the second missionary journey. Um, and this is amazing because this says a lot about doing church. Verse 36. Then after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us now go back and visit our brothers and sisters in every city where we have preached the word of the Lord on the first missionary journey and see how they're doing. Verse 37. This, he's saying, let's go do what we now to call the second missionary journey. Verse 37, now Barnabas was determined to take with them John called Mark. Barnabas, son of encouragement. Remember, that's what nickname means. Barnabas, cousin to John Mark. There's a disagreement arising here between Paul and Barnabas. Paul says, let's go back and see the church we planted. And Barnabas says, uh, yeah, let's do it. Let's take Mark back with us. Do you remember what happened with Mark and Pamphylia? Well, if not, the text will tell you. Verse 38, but Paul insisted that they should not, take, should not take John Mark with them, the one who had departed from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. Yeah, they had John Mark on the first missionary journey. He bailed out on them in Pamphylia, went back to Mama, probably, uh, we don't know exactly why he bailed out, but he bailed out. We do know it irritated Paul royally. So he says to Barnabas, no, I don't want to take John Mark back with me. John Mark does not have the maturity to do what we're doing. So this is a dispute. Now, 
to show you something, there's several things you need to notice here because there are people in the body of Christ who think conflict always bad. You know, I mean, I know everybody's on a, on a, on a scale, on a continuum between being um, aggressive. If you, if, you, if you take Stephen ministry training, you're taught about the difference between being aggressive and then just being passive. You don't want to be either. Aggressive means you just going after everybody and you're always mad and angry and you don't want to be aggressive. You don't want to be passive though, that you know, you, you'll let people in your presence damn the name of Christ and you do nothing about it. What we're after is not aggression or passivity. Take Stephen Minister training. You want to be assertive. So um, conflict's not always bad. You know, sometimes you need to have a good, heated conversation and work your way to a decision. You don't want to be aggressive. You don't want to be passive and just say, well, what? what?" You know, one of the most popular words in our culture today, and I hear it among teenagers, is whatever. That just epitomizes passivity. If you're a whatever kind of person, get over it. Uh, you don't want to be aggressive. You don't want to be passive. You want to be assertive. You want to be able to, to, to do the appropriate thing at the appropriate time and say the appropriate thing at the appropriate time. Um, so conflict's not always bad. It's how you do it. So here's Paul and Barnabas having conflict. Two godly Christian people having conflict. Um, I, by the way, I'm psychologizing a little bit. I think Barnabas was focused on the human being John Mark, I think Paul is focused on the task, the mission. And sometimes, I'm married to one, by the way. Um, sometimes, my, my wife is extremely people-centered. I've helped her learn how to be a little more task-oriented. When she married me, I was very task-oriented. She's helped me to become more person-centered. So again, you don't want to be the extremes. You don't be so task-oriented, mission-oriented that you just run roughshod over every human being you encounter. But you don't want to be into the feelings of all the human beings that you never accomplish what God wants you to accomplish. But I kind of see Paul and Bart, they're different personalities. Paul, mission-oriented, mission-driven. Barnabas, um, son of encouragement, that's what Barnabas means, it's a nickname. He's focused on John. We don't want to hurt John Mark's feelings. Well, Paul's not into that. You know, he will hurt your feelings. Paul will hurt your feelings. The Bible will hurt your feelings. So they, they, they debate this. They debate this. Um, verse 39, then the contention became so sharp that they parted from one another. Now, you can just look at that and say, oh, isn't that bad? That's horrible. They're fighting. It's conflict. It's dissension. Remember, by the way, you do recall Jesus said... He said at one point in the gospel, I have not come to bring peace but a sword. You do remember that from Jesus. Don't be selective in what you remember from Jesus. You do remember from Jesus. He said, um, I will divide mother from father, father from mother, parents from children, brothers and sisters from me. You do remember Jesus saying that, right? Shake your head, yes. You know, read the whole gospels, not just your pet pieces. Um, so, yes, yeah, sometimes conflict arises. And it should. And it's not always bad. Here's conflict between Paul and Barnabas. God is sovereign, though. You know that too, right? So look what happens here. 
You've got two missionary teams now going out. Because Barnabas is going to take Paul, I mean, take John Mark and go one way, and Paul's going to take Silas and go another way. God can work these things out. God's not sitting there saying, oh, conflict's bad. I can't stand it that they disagree. Um, No, God overrides that. So it works out fine. By the way, in case you don't know the book real well, Paul and Barnabas and John Mark reconcile at the end. Uh, You see that in Colossians. You see that in 2 Timothy. When Paul is about to um, be beheaded uh, in Rome, he's in prison. Timothy's with him. So Paul calmed down at some point. Um, So they do reconcile. That's how the story ends. But the conflict here was good. It, it, It set in motion two missionary teams going out. Um... See, and I bet you've gone your whole life and never read this part of Acts chapter 15. It looks like a travel log. It looks like historical detail. But there's some good stuff here. Yeah, then the contention became so sharp, they parted from one another. And so Barnabas took Mark and sailed to Cyprus. Paul chose Silas and departed. That becomes what we call the second missionary journey. Um, that's why, for those of you that were in Philippi with me recently on that second missionary journey in Thessalonica, it was Paul and Silas doing that 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 journey. So you got two missionary teams now in play. Um, verse forty. But Paul chose Silas and departed, being commended by the brethren to the grace of God, and he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. Notice that harmony in Jerusalem was brought to the church through the power of the Spirit, uh, through uh, faithful maturity by the leadership who paid attention to the Word. Um, so you know, harmony, real spiritual harmony is a gift of the Spirit. You know, we have, we, a lot of times we settle in life for a lot of artificial harmony. I remember when I was a district superintendent, which... Don't want to do it again. I'm not even sure I can say I'm glad I did it. I, I did tell the bishop when I finally got out of it that it was a, one of the best continuing education experiences of my life. And it was one of the best continuing education experiences of my life. Um, learned a lot. Experienced a lot. Um, learned not to... One of the first things I went, when I went to um, what we called district superintendent's um, finishing school the training that the denomination gives us. I remember being at Lake Joan Lusk with all the new district superintendents from around the United Methodist Church and taking all the courses. One of them was what to do when people become violent with you. And I'm like, good God, what have you gotten me into? Uh, it was a great, content, but I didn't need that course, by the way. It was a great continuing education experience. A great continuing education experience in a lot of ways. One of the things I also learned while I was this superintendent, I never heard this phrase until I became a district superintendent. Mature Christians will learn how to, here's the phrase, mine for conflict. I spent most of my life not wanting to mine for conflict. I spent most of my life not being a peacemaker, but a peacekeeper. But sometimes you get to peace not by being a peacemaker, keeper, but by being a peacemaker. Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers. We're talking true peace here, real harmony here, not artificial. 
So, you know, they, we, had, we, had, we paid lots of money to have high-powered counselors come in to teach us how to mine for conflict. Usually we didn't have to mine for conflict. It just found us all the time from all of our churches. But I did learn, you know, that conflict can be very healthy and good and beneficial, something which God uses to advance the kingdom. And by the way, I have read some church history. This has been our story for 2,000 years as a Christian community, and for 3,500 years you've had the Jewish community on top of us. Uh, yeah, conflict's not a bad thing. So look here. This is the way you saw the conflict settled in Jerusalem. You saw how they settled it in Jerusalem. You saw how they then um, you know, distributed what they said to the whole Gentile world. And then you, it's interesting, you end the chapter by saying conflict between Paul and Barnabas. And we've talked about how that ended. So, um, you know, I'm so grateful for people that pay attention to the Bible. Because, it's not, you know, this is an understatement. It's an amazing book. You know, I, I'm grateful for the people that pay attention to it. You know, there's a reason why our Christian and Jewish ancestors have been obsessed by this and why it's central to our faith. And that's why, you know, for instance, if you go to a very traditional church, like a Roman Catholic church, you hear lots of Scripture read. Old Testament, New Testament, Psalm, Gospel. You go to a synagogue, their service is about three hours on Shabbat morning because they're going to read a whole lot of Bible while you're there. The Jewish and the Christian communities, when we're being faithful, are obsessed by this. And, you know, we're in a culture now that's formed more by culture than this. They're formed more by Fox or MSNBC than they're formed by this. And we wonder why the church in the West, and it really is just the church in the West, Western Europe and United States, Canada, what church is left up there, just like what church is left in Europe. Um, the church in the West is, is, is in a mess. You know, church, the global South... Did you see what happened a month ago? You probably didn't because you were not reading the same news I was reading. 80 million Anglicans. I don't know if I have any Episcopalians or ex-Episcopalians in the room. 80 million Anglicans from around the world, mostly from south of the equator, said for the first time since the Church of England Anglicanism was birthed, said Canterbury? Archbishop of Canterbury, there in England, the person you saw make a king out of Charles, you are no longer the center of our church. Eighty million Anglicans, because of the direction of the Church of England in England, um, because of the direction of the Church of England in England, in England, uh, eighty million Anglicans, mostly from south of the equator and around the world. I don't quite know how to say it other than they said to the Archbishop of Canterbury, we have appreciated you since the 1540s, but at this point, hell no. We can't go where the Church of England is going on some of these issues such as around sexual immorality or what some people think is sexual morality. Yeah, 80 million Anglicans said that to the sea, the sea. Um, the, the seat of power, the Church of England, Canterbury, who has always been. Uh, it used to have to go from Zimbabwe to, 
to Lambeth Palace in Canterbury, England, to make your decisions. Well, they said, we're we're coming to Lambeth Palace in Canterbury no more. Because they they see what some of the things the Church of England is doing is stepping outside of anything that can be called um, historic Christian faith. Um, I'm proud of my Anglican brothers and sisters, all 80 million of them for saying to the Church of England, you're, you're not the enlightened ones that can tell the rest of the Christian community around the world how to live. And you may be the Archbishop of Canberra, and you might make the king in England, but you're not telling us in Rwanda what the Christian faith is about because of some of the stances they're taking. So, yeah, sometimes it's, health, it's healthy to get out of, your, out of our little denominational ghettos and look at what's going on around the world, look at what's going on in global Christianity, look at what's been happening for 2,000 years. Um, you know, I can't imagine, um, you know, occasionally I hear my, my son, who my son actually said this years and years ago before he became a history major in college, as my son, I would hear my son say, history is so boring. That makes my brain explode. <laughs> I mean, history is the story of people how we've done it right, how we've done it wrong throughout history. We need to pay attention to that. Um, history, and you know, when you study history, don't just study history of High Point. Think about the world. I remember I went to a college, believe it or not, that required two semesters of Latin American history. I learned how stupid I was about Latin. I mean, I knew a few things about Canada. Um, I, I, I knew nothing about that. I, I knew Simone Bolivar, and that was it. I'd heard that name. And I had two semesters, and they change, you know, they change regimes every other week down in South America. So it's complicated history. But I realized how ignorant I was of, of that, of half of the Western Hemisphere. You know, we need to get out of our little ghettos, you know, and, and our cultures, whether it's in High Point or the United States, or West or Western culture right now, who's trying to tell the rest of the world, you know, what's right and wrong for the Christian faith. And um, anyway, um, if, if you're not connecting the dots, I'm trying to connect. You need a course in dot connecting. Um, the issues I'm talking about that's dividing the Christian world, like those 80 million Anglicans from the Church of England and the Archbishop of Canterbury are issues surrounding human sexuality. So when you deal with that issue, please don't listen to just Western American, Western European voices. You know, because sometimes we think we're the enlightened ones we tell the rest of the world what is right and wrong. And we're very convinced we're the enlightened ones telling the rest of the world and the rest of Christian history what's right and wrong. By the way, that's what C.S. Lewis called chronological snobbery. Yeah, don't think the rest of the world's wrong. Don't think the rest of history is wrong. You know, at least be open to listen to, to what God might be trying to say. I mean, if you don't like history, have you noticed how much the Bible feels like a history book in places? Because we need to know the story. You know, if we don't pay attention to the story, we might do like Jeroboam. We might erect a high place, and we might erect a new golden calf and think we're being Jewish because we don't know who Jeroboam is and we don't know the human tendency to do that kind of stuff. So, let's pray together. Um, this, this, I want to make sure you felt like we were at a closure and a turn.
terminus and an end to Acts chapter 1. So we'll, we'll start the second missionary journey um, in September. Let's pray together. God, for the gift of time shared around your word, we give you thanks. God, we pray that you will form us, reform us, make us, mold us, correct us, more than we allow the culture around us to do that. Give us a deep and desperate thirst and hunger for you. Help us desperately want more of you in our lives. And help us to make space in our lives for more of you. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. So if I don't see you till September, have a great summer, but I'll probably see most of you. vote on August the 27th, 5 p.m. So we'll start getting that out. Okay, thank you. Rearrange your schedule to make sure you're in the building. Thank you. Um, Bennett, Mary, John at gmail.com. I got that. Good. I'll make sure it's added correctly. Maroons. So I know I've added that before, but I, I might have left the S off. Maroons, 1967outlook.com. I'll add it. I got two questions. Good morning. Morning. Good to see you. Good to see Good you. Good to be with you today. Thank you. Always. Um, uh, regarding the uh, uh, notes from the trip, uh, uh, the yeah. packet, yeah. there's a reference in there about pass, uh, passport. Mm. Um, is there some minimum amount of time you have to have a passport yes. before? No. no. You only only thing that gets people caught is like if the expiration date, like you know, you know, like we're going April of twenty twenty four. If your expiration date is June, it doesn't work. Your okay. expiration date has to be more than six months out. Got it. But that Which is weird. Yeah. I, I finally asked that one day well, why and somebody told me it's in case you get stuck in a foreign country. That's yeah. what that's I was what we wondering thinking. about. Yeah, that. So I hope that wouldn't be there six months. Okay. I know, hopefully. Yeah. But that's why because that does because you think an expiration date is okay. an expiration date. But your expiration date has to be within six months of your. Other than that, there's. Okay. okay. And then, and this yeah. Except it's getting longer and longer to get a passport. Yes, we are, yeah, we are, right. We are That's why that we're. Well, the yeah, other getting, question relates yeah, to today's yeah. lesson, and that is uh, after the, uh, the council disseminated the information, how did the other Jewish brethren feel that uh, they had relaxed standards for the new religion. I'm sure that probably led to what eventually became the split between the Jewish and the Christian faith. I mean, at this yeah. point, we're still looking like we're all a new together. way of being Jewish. Right. But yeah, a lot, of, I'm sure, you know, very Orthodox Jews around the world say, I told you those Christian Jews are, yeah. So that's why, it, you know, by the end of the first century, we have split. You know. Who do we write our check out to, and who do we give it to? Well, you can you can Israeli give it to me okay. if you want to, or you can okay. wait and do it on. Well, if you want, it depends but, on if if you uh, want to do credit card, you just but you pay a little extra for credit card. Oh, okay, if you want okay. to do credit card, you can do it on the when it goes up. You're you welcome write to write it and give it to me. And what I'm going to do, I'm yeah. my administrative assistant's keeping the yes. folder. And what I will do as soon as 
the website goes up, okay. I'm going to tell you, go online and okay. put in your information. So who do we write it out Educational to? opportunities. Educational okay. opportunities. Yeah. Okay. They probably would okay. They probably would accept EO, okay. but, but educational opportunities. I look forward to it. Same here. I look forward to it. You're not going to get the copy of my position paper this week because I didn't finish it. But I do have a question. This is one of the reasons. If there's no discipline after 16 yet. Well, no, no. They're actually like 2553 is a virtual. I know. I so know there's no printed. But there's some. I'm at least the way I see 2553. I want to make sure 2016 is still. Unless it's something that was changed in, in 2019. Otherwise, but yeah, we didn't change anything. Yeah, because there's a discrepancy between what it says in 2553 and 2016. Yeah, so you have to go to 2553. Because we did a, we did general conference, but not enough to reprint disciplines. Nothing's got reprinted. So that's why there's that virtual running around out there. Things. I'm doing something a little I'm using the quadrivalent, mm -hmm. but I'm mm -hmm. also using other things. But essentially, the reasons, and, and when I come to reason, I'm using my scientific background yeah. and, and research papers mm -hmm. to point out homosexuality is either psychological disorder. Or sin. Yeah. It ain't biological, it ain't medical. I hope they read your paper. People won't even discuss that I don't anymore. Know. I'm doing it for me mm -hmm. in case. I do a lot of that. I write stuff out for my own I'm discipline. Doing you know, I'm doing it knowing for me people, so nobody will read it. But I'm doing it for me so that I can, when asked, and if I'm going to promise to go, here's what it is. There will be people that will read it. Don't know if any denominational officials will read it, but there'll be people who will read it. Mr. Carter was one of my mentors. He was my mentor. And I'm seriously considering, as you were my mentor, I'm going to ask you to I'm considering doing it. But anyway, I'll get it to you next time. I'm looking, look for it, look for it. I bet you got an email. I do. Good. Let me make sure I can. Okay, there's no spacing. Rebecca B. State. I will make sure because I remember adding that, but I might have left the B okay. out. All right. Oh, then, that one's from Maryland. Okay, good. Yeah, thank, you. thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Speaking of which, I don't. You don't have. I'm not getting those emails. Give it to because I'll put it on my list. Maybe a frustrating podcast if you got some in the back room. Well, I may, I may, because it's easy to do. Or will it be like studying and discussion questions? That seems too much to bear. I do have a little I'm doing, 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 I'm do
Yeah, that'd keep my interest. Thanks so much for being part of it. All right. Well, good. I will take this upstairs okay. right now and get it taken care of. And then I'll let you know. For two, I guess. Um, put two. Maybe right for two. And um, and then I'll, I'm going to sit down let me know as soon as I'm trying to do so many folks. Is before I put it, the link out there generally, I'm going to give it to y'all to just go ahead and sign up. But, um yeah, and then um, if you have to, and I'll probably say this in the email. Um, well, because if, if you sign up online, you can just, where it, there's a place where it talks about if you do a credit card, how much money you're putting in. I'll clarify this with them. You can just, you can just do XXXX. Because otherwise, you hit submit and nothing submits. You just leave that blank. But anyway, I, I may put that in the email. You got to put something in the field. XXXX. But I'll just send this in. But yeah, they need the, your information. And you can do it. And just when you fill out, just where it has roommate, put each other. Yeah, Assume y'all want to be roommates. Okay. But uh, yeah, just put each other down there for roommates. I'm looking forward to that. That's going to be fun. It is an amazing. That's why Broadway has made productions. It's, it's an amazing. Yeah, it's these little vignettes. It's his imagination. Well, where it comes from, there's in the Middle Ages, there was a non biblical, non. There was a Called the refrigerarium or something. Anyway, says so like, what actually into it? And it's a famous William Blake poem. The marriage of him or William Blake, like a lot of the modern Americans, say, Heaven and Hell's going to marry someone. It's all going to be okay for everyone. That's the marriage of Heaven and Hell by Blake, William Blake. So that's why C.S. Lewis says, Heaven and Hell will never marry. And that's why in this in these vignettes you see all these people who get to take their little vacation to check out Vegas, and they get back on the bus and go back to hell. They don't heaven and hell doesn't want to marry. There's such different realities. Yeah, it, it is a fascinating story. Yeah, the Middle Ages did that just to help add torment to hell. <laughs> yeah, there's no reason. It's a strange tradition that popped up in the in the Middle Ages. But. Yeah, and it's kind of a vicious tradition. Yeah, but um, but he knew that tradition, and he knew Blake's poem. So he sort of said, you know, even if, even if people went to heaven from hell, if they'd grown accustomed to hell, and they, you know, if you want hell, that's why he also says at one point, hell is locked from the inside. The door to hell is locked. People choose it. People want it. People sit around and watch it. It's not that God and somebody else says you. It's you have that. That's who you are. 
You sowed and kept God. And that's part of the great divorce, too. It really shows like the human nature and the, the power of human choice. Which is a, theologically, philosophically, that's what makes it Human beings are important. Our choices are important. God won't eternally override. Our he is a gentleman. He is, he's a gentleman. And that's why, yeah, there's this, it's a fascinating little story. Should be. It is. It used to be. Yeah, it used to be in the Christian faith. That's why if you look at, I, I collect old hymnals, and you know, the old Christian hymnals, they literally get this big, this big, they, they grow. Because they were carried back and forth from church to home. They were carried in saddlebags and circle riders. Anyway, if you look at old Memphis and it's just the word. The number of humans about because that culture lived with death all the time. You died at home. You were laid out at home. So we kind of, that's when you go from that to 1964. But that's the hymnal we had before the one we have now. We just we started denying death, which leads you to deny heaven and hell. You know, we put more back in, this, in, in our present hymn. But yeah, the old hymns just had, old hymns full of hymns about death, time, heaven, hell. So they lived with that every day. Oh, it was. I hope it was too back then. Uh, yeah, I mean, nowadays, people can go home their whole life and never see someone die or never see a dead body. I mean, now it's getting where you don't even see them bomb dead bodies. Often. That's right. And so we're a death-denying culture, and that has, I'm talking to my hospice wife about that, we're a death-denying culture. That has theological ramifications in a lot of ways. That's right. It does. And could our thoughts determine how we live? <laughs> Thanks. It's easy to do. Thanks. Everybody. We we got a date for an official vote last night. Not, I don't know that they can take that back from us, but the new superintendent will provide will will preside over an official vote here on August twenty seventh, five p.m. Now, so particularly because if it's not done by September the first, it's over. But um, so, particularly as we approach, because we have to, as frustrating as it's been, we kind of have to work together, we think, to keep our building and facilities. Right. So, now that we got an official vote, I mean, I can still hear, I, well, I don't, yeah, I'll be more blunt about that. Yeah, tell Bose we got our official vote last night. Do you know that? What now? We got our official vote from the district superintendent. Last night. Okay. So, well, we, I didn't think they'd ever give us one. I thought they'd hold on to us from now on. But that we can vote. We got the date. We got DS, the DS came to see us last night, which I didn't know would even happen. She was avoiding us like the play, but she came, and it was congenial, very different from last November. Oh, I'm so glad. Um, and she set a date, because with the official vote, she sets the date, she presides. Okay. So we, we'll we got to get more people. We'll start getting the date out. 
it's because she's because you tell us yeah today? August you know it, it is sort of tentative till she gives us till she provides me the letter in writing in, in writing, writing which okay. I hope she does that soon still doesn't mean they can't do something weird after but this but we true. got the date so that's the but yeah, August 27th at 5 p.m. it's a Sunday well, evening strong ballot probably gave them encouragement that they're going to win I, I don't know what that did to them <laughs> I received a, 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 a terse email that said as a result of the straw ballot and them not interfering in it the pause is lifted which I guess we knew the pause was lifted because we would have did what we wanted to do but so when I saw that I thought well maybe they will work with us and let the congregation have a say so but, We're gonna pray. Well, and see the thing. See the other thing. Big this is the reason why I didn't think they would do it. See that straw poll. We gave people three days, multiple hours. I know. They came from over. They came from all around the state. I knew somebody came from California that voted. Wow. With an official vote, and the Methodist Church handles this. It's 5 p.m. on August 27th in that sanctuary. So if you're not there, so that. Preferences that gives August the advantage. Twenty seventh, last Sunday, and all. You know, she gave us a few dates to choose from. We but chose there's that. only one time, and that's the vote. And that's why that will preference the active people. That will preference the people that live here. That will preference the kind of people who will you even consider rearranging their schedule to come. To come. To yeah, come. they will. They will. Some of these people, and we knew that because this was some of these people who voted in that straw poll. I'd never seen them in my life. They, you know, a few of them I've seen a couple times a year, but yeah, that, that bunch of that crowd, they don't rearrange their life for the sake of this church, but they have an opinion. But yeah, and that's why I knew that the official vote really does give an advantage to the active people. I think it does. It does. And we still got it even give more. it even gives advantage to the older people. Because you, they're more present, they're here. You know, some of that, that's why that, that 64%, that's 90% of our active members. That 30-some percent, that may be 10% of our active members. I mean, like I said, there were people that came and voted. We couldn't even, they, they've been on the roll forever. I don't know why they even care. But that's what happens in church life. And they showed back up. But, yeah, we need to, I mean. Well, I'll tell you, one time I asked Lisa, I said, Lisa, how's it How's it going to go? And she said, Susan, God is in control. It will be good either way it goes. We will make it. It will be, It'll be good it either will way. It will be good either, either be. way. And that just really I would like for the Well, and I, well, I would like for, this may be me, and I think God's okay with this. I would like for the new thing to be in these buildings with our endowment. God's going to do a new thing. Whether at 1225 Chestnut Drive or elsewhere. That's what she said. She said I would, re- you know, yeah, it'd be good know one way or another. We, we know what we want. Yeah. It will. And, you know, that's why even last night that had to be the answer to prayer because that was a different human being that was in the room with us. And I know they're worn down too. There's a new wind blowing. They're ready to get rid of all the troublemakers like me and Clark and Lisa. And they're ready to get rid of I mean, they, they, said, they said goodbye to 192 last Saturday, 192 churches last Saturday. So, I, you know, I've said all along, we can make this easier on ourselves if we would. Well, I've been ready to make it easier for a long time, but I go back to two general conferences. But some people, 
are just now getting to the point, let's make it easier. And I think that's where they're at. Um, plus prayer, but she was, yeah, when she came in in November, she attacked me, Clark, Lisa, she attacked all of our leadership. She was the angriest people I ever seen. So I didn't look forward last night to last night's meeting. I didn't think she'd come back, but she, because she kept saying, come talk to us, you know, and she came and was a different human being. We are definitely praying for all three, for the whole and, um, staff, the whole staff. I, I mean, you know, if I didn't feel like that the vast majority of this congregation, active congregation that's present, that had to be present voting, that are present, if they weren't, if they weren't in favor of letting God do something new here, I could have made my life easier two years ago. But I think, you know, I, I, I'm not about splitting a church. The best win-win situation. I said, I know this. I used to be a new superintendent. And they know it too. The best win-win situation. I mean, here's 64% in a straw poll. And again, that's a percent. That, we, we got more in the straw poll. We had 681 people vote. That's high for a church vote. I promise you all to show up for an in-person church vote. It's usually about the same number as your active membership, active worship attendance. That's 500 so we, we beat that by 181. But again, people came out of the woodwork, which that's normal. So, um, you know, if I, the win-win situation is let the 75%, 80%, 85% that are actually here, let them decide. Now, that will, that, that will mean there will be a few that will go to a lighthouse church, is what they're calling it. I, well, I, I mean, I've never, people need to go where they feel led. There'll be a few, not as many as people think. Because, again, that, that percentage that voted against it, there's all about 10% that are even active. And of that, I, I'm being gracious. I'm saying we see them a couple times a year, three times a year. So, I mean, so, yeah, I don't want to lose anybody, but if you put carpet in the sanctuary, you're going to lose somebody. So the best win-win situation is let's 80% of us do something that will allow us to keep our facility in our building yeah, there'll be some people. I tell you, Jeff, I sit there and I look at on a sunny day, and you look at those windows in there. They are breathtaking. They are. They, they are. are breathtaking. They are. I still, but if we need to leave, we'll leave. Well, but I hope we don't. Well, you know, yeah. I mean, I I'm not so much into the building as I am the endowments. I mean, right. I don't want to give right. anybody that money for. I, know. I mean, I do live with the reality it costs us three hundred thousand dollars a year to heat and cool this place and keep the lights on. I'm sure that does kind of bother me on some days. <laughs> That's why we work so hard to keep this facility full of people. people. I mean, we don't anybody in town. We we try to see y'all later. I mean, if we don't keep this place. Full all the time with ministry for the sake of Christ in this community, it's hard to justify three hundred thousand dollars a year just to pay the power bill. But we try. We right now we do a good job. There's not a night that goes by. There's that's why. Yeah, I mean right now. But if, if and that's why I do that. I mean it complicates our lives. You know I I don't really it complicates our lives. A hospice plays basketball in here on Tuesday nights. But if we didn't keep this place full yeah three hundred thousand dollars a year to and it'd be hard electricity that's that's i think that's just the, the power bill the power so bill. that's that's would be electricity and whatever's run by gas and but i'll tell you i think a lot of people from first first methodist will call oh, i know they will you know here what i want to say to some people is 
They can't vote, but they'll come. Well, they'll come. And what we've seen that across the denomination. After a church disaffiliates and says, we really believe in God's word and historic, people come out of the woodwork well, to join. Yeah. And they're coming now. Look on Sunday. Because I, they're getting something. What I kind of do want to say, and this may be a little selfish, some of the people who say, we're going to see what the decision is. Part of me wants to say, help us make the decision. Help us make the decision. You can always leave afterwards. That's I mean, again, right. I've you know, I've been a part of I'm, my world's different. I've been a part of eight different churches in my life. So, but I, so I'm trying to understand other people's position who think you can't be a part of but one church in your lifetime. I know you don't want to join this church, and maybe the church not go the way you want to go, and then you have to move again. But there's part of me that says, help us if if it's help us. Because, you know, I didn't even, and I don't know, I, I hate math, you've heard me say, but I've had people tell me, even with that vote, or we, because, yeah, we, we, we let that, even with that vote, we were 25 votes shy of disfilling. We're going to make it. But again, we're I don't want to just disfilate with 67%. Right. I, know, we I want it to be better. But big. again, I, if, if we could just poll the active people, the people that are physically, literally here that support this church, it would be it'd be 80, 90%. You know, so I, there, there are days I'm not really that concerned asking the people I see twice a year. I mean, I'm grateful for them. But I'm not sure. Yeah, they didn't go back to Jerusalem and ask everybody in town what they thought should be done. They went back and asked Peter and Paul mm-hmm. and James. And, you know, but we it is what it is. If you're a member, you have a right to vote. I, you know, I want to look at some and of them. it will be on one day uh, at one within, at ta- time. We'll, we'll get you, we have to get you in the building fast. We have to check you in as a member, give you a ballot. This superintendent presides over it. You stay put to the votes, and it's all done according to denominational standards. Right. You, stay, you stay put to the ballot as counted which should be one hymn maybe two hymns if you have enough people counting and then you find the results so yeah I, i'm kind of hoping we'll be away by because the doors open at five we hope to be voting by five thirty. by six thirty. it should be should be done that's the way for better or for worse that's the way our denomination does it you know that you have to be present and voting and whatever the number is that's present voting that's because what we did that years ago was to say active members need to make the decision. We shouldn't be able to control the church by, by staying away. So in other words, you can't. You, nobody can stand and say this is not a quorum of our membership. Well, those who show up can make the decision. Because we did that 200 years ago to keep people from controlling the church by being inactive or not showing up tonight. So the quorum are those. Who so, I mean, yeah, the denominational standards, I know who they sort of His father is Methodist clergy that I got to know. Yeah. Um, I sent him down to a little bitty country church out in the middle of nowhere filled with a few wonderful, wonderful people. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's also a professor at HPU. So that's, mm-hmm. that's Kale, that's his dad. And, um, oh, that's great. So you are a rise. You will be a rising junior. Correct. At UNC Chapel, you probably told these ladies this. At UNC Chapel, Chapel Hill. Hill. Uh, be going to seminary after you finish. Mm-hmm. So, that's the plan. I told good. them to come 
watch y'all this morning. Come to staff meeting next. No, come to worship Sunday. Come to staff meeting. That's really the test. Come to staff meeting on. Uh, come to staff meeting on Tuesday, and then I'll see if he still wants to hang out with us. Uh, come on. Mm -hmm. We're telling him he's gonna have a wonderful summer. He's gonna have a wonderful summer. Uh -huh. yeah. Oh, that youth group is wonderful. Uh huh. I'll yeah. be here at Vesper tonight. Yeah. Probably. You gonna come to Vesper? Good. good. All right. Well, we'll see you cool. later. Y'all take care. Glad to meet you. Y'all take care. Glad you made it. I kind of meant to look around the room and see if you were interested. Yeah. 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 Also, um, do you know if the youth is having the, the 6.30 slash yeah. 7 event tonight? Steven. I know Vesper's at 5.30. I don't know if youth has a, an event at 6.30. Let me take Steven. <laughs>